Welcome to the Gold Exchange Podcast, where we untangle market and policy complexity using timeless economic principles. For show notes and archives, go to goldexchangepodcast.com. Now, on to today's episode. Welcome back to the Gold Exchange Podcast. I'm Benjamin Adelstein from Monetary Metals. We are here in the New Orleans Investment Conference in 2022. We are joined, as always, by founder and CEO of Monetary Metals, Keith Weiner, and our special guest today is Brent Johnson. Brent, how are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for All having right. me. Brent, we're going to give you your five minutes in the limelight. It's time to gloat. The dollar milkshake theory, you've obviously had this thesis for a while, and 2022, whew, that is the year for the milkshake. So why don't you tell us, what have you seen so far in 2022, and how's the thesis been holding up? Yeah, well, I think overall the thesis is holding up. I mean, ultimately, the thesis is how I think a sovereign debt and currency crisis plays out. Um, despite all the innumerable problems that the, the United States has, despite all the fiscal sins we've committed, we have many advantages the rest of the world just doesn't have. And since they've committed many of the same sins and they don't have the advantages on a relative basis, the U.S. dollar rises versus them. That's the, that's the thesis. And that's, I think we've seen that pretty, uh, pretty well play out this year. I just have to interject the one thing, which is anybody who's bearish the DXY is effectively bullish the euro. And whatever complaints you may have about the dollar, I mean, and there's a lot of other reasons why DXY has to go up and the milkshake theory makes sense. But whatever complaints you have about the dollar, look at the euro and tell me they don't apply times 10 over there. That's exactly right. And, And the reality is the way I came to this whole thesis was that years ago, as someone who was an advocate for gold then and still an advocate for gold now, I was of the belief because kind of a lot of the gold industry is built on the foundation that the dollar is going to fall. Right. And I just almost accepted that um, as a given, but then I did a bunch of analysis on the United States and it confirmed that. I said, well, this is pretty obvious. The dollar is going to fall. And then when it didn't, I was like, what the hell's going on? Why is the dollar not falling? And when I would talk to other people, they would say, oh, just wait, it will, it will. No, but nobody really wanted to get into it. And so I kind of went back and said, I got to figure this out just for my own sanity, what the hell's going on. And I reviewed all my analysis on the United States and that's really correct. But then what I had never really done is I had never applied it to Europe. I'd never applied that same analysis to Japan or to China or, or you know, as a whole. And so I realized that my focus had been extremely narrow, even though I thought it had been very broad. And once you do that and you kind of step back and you be just brutally objective, um, you know, the answer to me was fairly obvious. And part of the reason I knew it was obvious is I hated the answer. I, I, I was like, this cannot be. Right. But the more I studied it, the more I realized it is. And so I think we're seeing that. The, 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 so I'm not surprised at the dollar strength this year versus other currencies. But um, the, the, I, th- I think what I would highlight, though, is it hasn't just been against emerging market currencies and smaller currencies. Um, the euro is down close to 20% for, you know, in the last year. The, the yen is down 30% in two years. Those are enormous moves for currencies. It would be a big yeah. move for an emerging market currency. Right. It's a massive move for Europe's a major currency. now an emerging market, apparently. If, apparently. And de-emerging. Yeah, yeah de-emerging. de-emerging. And what I, a lot of times when I've, over the last couple months, when you've seen these headlines, uh, you know, Bank of England has to intervene. The Bank of Japan has to intervene. You know, Christine Lagarde has to buy periphery bonds. I often like try to put myself in the shoes of an emerging market central banker who wakes up and sees these headlines and he's thinking, holy cow, if this is the Bank of England, what the heck am I going to do? What power do I have? So um, I think it's going to be really interesting how the next few years develop. I don't expect it to be a straight line. 
Um, the dollar's had a heck of a run. Wouldn't surprise me at all if it pauses for a little bit. But I would encourage people that uh, have not positioned for a strong dollar, if we get dollar weakness, use that time period to prepare for a stronger dollar rather than like between 2020 and 2021, everybody doubled down on the dollar shorts rather than preparing for more strength. And so that's kind of hurt them, you know, year to date. So anyway. You know, if you look at, um, you're talking about, uh, you know, pauses in the dollar or even drawdowns. Uh, if you look at gold in the 1970s, obviously incredible bull case. Goes from 35 bucks to over 800 bucks. But there was wicked drawdowns in the yeah. middle of it. Yeah. That from the perspective of history, you know, 30, 40 years later, it's easy to just gloss over that. Right. But for people living through that, wasn't there a 50% drawdown? Was that 1975 or 1976? And, you know, in retrospect, wow, you know, with gold at 1600 bucks, you know, that drawdown looks like nothing. But at the time, 50%? Yeah. Right? So I don't think the dollar would have a 50%, DXY would have a 50% drawdown. That would be insane. But, you know, 10, 20% drawdown wouldn't yeah. be at all surprising. Well, and that's, I kind of, at some point, I kind of expect that to happen because my, I do not think this is going to play out over the next six to seven months. I think it'll play out over the next three or four years, maybe six to seven years. Right. The only way that can happen is if there are pullbacks along the way. I mean, if the dollar goes to 160 next month, it's kind of game over, and then the, you know, the reset happens, so to speak. Um, but it, I, I think it's unlikely that the world just stands back and let it go to 160. I, there will come a point where the Fed will pivot. I don't know exactly when that will be, but they will pivot, and they will do something to try to ease the pressure. Um, and I think it will work for a while when they do that, just like it worked for a while in 2020. The problem is that now the world is facing inflationary pressures, and so any moves they, they, they put on in order to you know, weaken the dollar, it actually enhances inflation, which is what they're trying to kill. So it's a little bit of a different situation now that the challenges are a little bit different. Uh, ultimately, I think the dollar will get away from them to the upside. I think markets are ultimately power than, power, more powerful than you know, central bankers and politicians, but you know, it's not going to be a straight line. <laughs> This summer I gave a talk in uh, Vienna, and the title, I'm going to try to pronounce, I was corrected by German speakers of how to say this word, which is a word that Americans would be familiar with if you play chess, Zugzwang, yeah. which is when you have to make a move, you can't like pause, right. you have to move, and any move you want to make you know, your, makes your position worse, yeah. not better. So the Fed could do this, but that's going to make prices go up more, or the Fed could do this, but that's going to do this. And what are the what are the U.S.'s allies saying? You know, in private calls right now, when they're like, they have to be saying, "Guys, you're killing us." Chief public calls. The U.N. has actually asked if the interest yeah. rate hikes could stop. Please stop the beatings. Yeah. And the Fed has said no. Uh, that is a pretty big stare down. But what do you think? Are the pivots going to have to happen in 2022, or can 2023 be the year? I don't think they're going to happen in 2022. Now, if over the next two or three weeks, markets fall in addition 30 or 40 percent, VIX spikes to 100, and the funding market sees up, they will absolutely pivot. Um, and that's one thing that's important to understand is there are some people out there who said the Fed should not intervene. The Fed was put in place in order to intervene. Right. <laughs> that is literally their job. So the idea that they won't pivot at some point, it, of course they will. The, the question is, is when they will do it. I happen to think that it will, they will be able to do more rate hikes for longer than most people. I fully admit I can be wrong on this. Um, and, and part of the reason I think that is I think the Fed, I don't think the Fed is surprised by 
the market volatility that the interest rates have caused. I don't think they're surprised by the, the, the problems that the emerging markets are having, and they're probably not surprised the UN is asking them to stop. But they are not the, the regulator for the rest of the world. They're, they're, their mission is the domestic United States. And what we're in is this thing called Triffin's Dilemma. I was about to say Triffin's Dilemma. It, it, it's the, it, it could not be more perfectly Triffin's Dilemma. And so what Triffin's Dilemma is, for people who are not familiar with it, is when an individual country's currency also functions as the global currency, at some point you will have the needs of the domestic economy come into conflict with the needs of the global economy. Right. And so that's where we're at. You know, the U.S. either needs or wants, or however you want to define that, uh, higher rates in order to combat domestic inflation, but the rest of the world can't handle it. But Jay Powell has come out and said, listen, <laughs> I hear you, but this is what we need to do for, for our domestic market and that's what we're doing. And I think, I, I wouldn't say I'm a fan of Jay Powell, that's not the right way to say this, but I think he has been more clear on what he intends to do than maybe any central banker that I can, that I, since I've been doing this job, now maybe you can go back in previous, you know, before I was involved in this, but there's, there's no confusion about what his plan is. His plan might fail, but he's not like speaking in a language you can't understand. Right. He said, I'm gonna raise rates, people are gonna lose their jobs, some people need to get paid less, and there's going to be pain. Well, but that will be worth it because that will be better than the pain from sustained inflation. That's as clear as I've ever heard a central banker say it. Yeah, and, and even though we think he may actually be wrong on some of these yeah. causes of inflation, that is what the playbook is, right? right? It's coming from the horse's mouth, and the horse is, is trotting along. We've, we've seen these rate hikes. Everyone said it's not going to happen. Then it did happen. Well, it's got to stop. But obviously, uh, th there's actions speak louder than words, right? And Keith, they might commit to doing you know rate hikes until inflation goes away or whatever this kind of number they're looking for is. But uh, let's talk about the actions. They're going to start breaking things with these rate hikes, as we've kind of already seen. What do you think is going to have to break for, for Powell and the central bankers to say, oh my gosh, enough is enough, we're turning around. You know, I, I like to use, use the analogy that people think, okay, well, the Fed, you know, reacts when, um, you know, they, they cause something to break or they cause damage. They're causing all kinds of things already to break. The question is, what <laughs> rises to the, you know, level of attention? And so in, in the last discussion, I, I made an analogy of the Fed's in like in this ivory tower and they're on 100th floor. And all sorts of things are on fire, but they're on fire like down on the ground. And so from the 100th floor window, it just looks like, you know, uh, uh, ants um, to them. So wh what causes the flames to rise to the 100th floor window where they can see, oh, there's flames outside our window. And um, what I think, I don't think they care about unemployment, actually. I don't think they actually care about inflation either. I think they can use either of those as a cover for something already want to do anyway. Um, but I think they do care about solvency of their client banks, the big crony banks. So when JP Morgan says, hey, you know, we're taking dreadful losses on our uh, real estate portfolio or other assets that are just getting crushed, um, there'll be a point at which the Fed can't ignore that anymore. Um, you know, how, you know, these things all occur with a lag. So now we're trying to guess like, A, how long is the lag? And B, once, that information is coming to the Fed. How long does the Fed continue to just, no, we're gonna stay the course before the, the crescendo reaches the point where they can't. So I think they can go quite a while before uh, there's a problem. And I was gonna make the point earlier when, when Brent said this plays out over three to four years or maybe six to 10 years. 
there's more kicks in that can yeah. than anybody thinks. Exactly. They have, totally over, they have more aces up their sleeve. Yep. There's more kicks in the can, whatever analogy you want to use. Um, Adam Smith said it, you know, not anticipating this particular situation. Um, there's a great deal of ruin in a nation. Yeah. That, um, you know, you have these horrible policies and you think, why doesn't everything just turn to crap immediately? Well, it will turn to crap eventually, yeah. but not immediately. And, you know, what's the difference? Well, uh, in 2012... Your portfolio tells the difference. <laughs> that's right. At 2012, I thought it was, you know, six to seven years. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously it's a lot longer than that. Yeah. And, um, you know, and, and there's more to go. And you, when you look around in America here, there's still a great deal of capital. This is a capital consumption process. There's still an enormous amount of capital here yet to be consumed. And that's the measure of how long can it go. And there's more capital coming in as right. you know it flees other jurisdictions, right? And so right, so the other jurisdictions turn to total shit, but yeah. they're all like as they drown, they're holding up their wad of dollar bills and handing right. it off to yeah. America right. to consume. That's right. And um, so perversely, for all the wrong reasons, you know, yeah, America, we're better. Those people are going to be sort of right for the wrong reasons, yeah. like a stop clock, I guess. And it will inevitably end bad for America as well. All these yes, things right. cycle, right? And I, I, I don't want to people to think that I am one of these people who thinks that due to American exceptionalism and that we're the smartest and the greatest, it, it's, not, it's not that at all. It's just in many ways, without going into too much detail, the system is rigged in favor of the dollar. Um, the idea that these other currencies are going to fail before the dollar, I never say anything is impossible, but that's about as close as you can get. Keith, let's talk about the dollar derivatives, right? What, why, why? Keith's great at explaining this. Yeah, Keith, why don't we jump into that first? The second? other currencies are all dollar derivatives. And the dollar figures prominently, not only in every commercial bank and even small to you know, mid-sized to large business in the world has dollars on both sides of the balance sheet, but every central bank, they're all dollar derivatives. So, you know, in a way, this is like a debate as to whether Apple shares are gonna go to zero before December Apple calls. How could that be? Right. The derivative, if, if anything is going to fail, the derivative fails first. Right. And so when there is a desperate, a genuine desperate need for, for liquidity and credit, um, people turn to the dollar. And so what drove the DXY up so, so far and what will drive it more is just, it's a desperate, desperate need for liquidity. I, I don't think it's, I mean, obviously, speculators and traders pile on and extend the trend, and that's why I can get overextended. But the origins and the roots of it aren't anybody saying, yeah, the dollar's better, the cleanest dirty shirt, or whatever. It's, you don't have a choice. When you're dealing with margin calls, when you're dealing with a funding crisis, right? So every firm in the world um, is, is borrowing short to finance, not necessarily lending, but to finance long assets. And then suddenly you can't roll your short liabilities that is a desperate, urgent need. Yep. And you get a margin call from your broker. It's not optional, it's not choice, it's not leisurely. Right. It's well, not that, like, that, I'm gonna buy this because I think it's gonna go up. Yeah. No, you don't want it to go up, you're short the well, damn not thing. Not only that, it's not your decision. They don't call you to say, yeah. It'd be nice. No, would yeah. you like to do this? They say, you send a, they say, send us more cash or we are doing this for you. Or drastic, you know? dire, terrible things <laughs> yeah. are going to happen yeah. to you. Yeah. And so yeah. people desperately, do what they have to do, and that's what is driving the dollar. It's not even really the dollar up, it's the euro down, yeah. it's, it's um, the pound, obviously, um, 
you know, and they had a spike low during their recent crisis. I think I saw on my screen, it hit a dollar three. The pound, a dollar three. You know, before reco recovering, if you want to call it that, what is it, a dollar 12 now? Something, that's the pound, that's where the euro used to be yeah. a few short months ago. Yeah. And now the euro uh, is what, 97 cents today? 97, the, the yen is at 148 or nine. Almost 150. Higher than, I was about to say guess 145, 146. <laughs> um, you know, and, I mean, I, and I don't mean to be flip about it and we're kind of laughing about it. A lot of Americans see this, oh great, I can take a vacation and it's cheap. Or, you know, I'm going to buy a BMW and it's going to be cheaper. I'm not sure if that's even true. They might just hold the line on, on the dollar price and, you know, make more money. But, but this is a horrific destruction being brought oh, yeah. on the savers of, and the, and the producers, the corporations in Europe and the UK and in Japan, this is a giant erosion of their capital. Yeah, and this is, to, to, to be clear, like the whole milkshake theory, whenever I talk about it, I try to have a smile on my face and I try to, I make little jokes and little innuendos, try to keep it light because if you don't keep it light, you'll end up crying because this, this is a really bad situation. Right. I mean, and you know, since the very first time I mentioned this thesis, I, I, one of the very first sentences I said was, I want to make something very clear is this is not a story that ends well. And really, it's kind of the worst for all, of all worlds for these other countries because what's happening is they're, they're, they're dealing with both inflation and deflation at the same time. Their economies are slowing. Um, they've got enormous amounts of debt. The debt that they have with interest rates higher is eating up more of their, their revenues. A lot of the debt is denominated in dollars, so they're getting, it's a, it's a Double, kicker right. on top of the interest rate they already have to pay. Uh, but then on the flip side, in order to counteract their domestic uh, weakness, they have to print more of their own currency, either to buy dollars to buy oil or energy or food, or to their own government programs or, or, or whatever it is. And so then their currency loses value. So they're getting hit on by deflation on one side and massive inflation on the other. And it's, it, it, this, this is how disasters happen. Like literally, this, the, you couldn't create a more perfect storm for a movie. Yeah, you almost couldn't write it worse. No, you couldn't, you couldn't. I, I think one analogy for this, like for Americans looking at this and saying, okay, European stuff's getting cheaper. Imagine like there's a tractor trailer on the highway and it flips over and then all the contents spill across the highway. And you know, whether it's TVs or frozen food or something like that, let's assume that it, the, the contents survive the spill onto the highway and so everyone's gathering it up, kind of like looting it. And they're like, oh yeah, you know, this is great. Well, you have a tiny little gain compared to the enormous loss that could be putting somebody out of business if that was a big enough loss. And um, that's, that's what's going on or here. Or the life of the driver in some of these cases. Right, yeah, the driver you know, could be killed and all these things and trucks on fire and right. you know, damage the, the bridge so the road is gonna be closed for months, but hey, free TVs. Um, it, it's, and then of course, what do you do for an encore? The TV company's now out of business, you, you know, and, and there's follow on consequences that you know, I, as to Brent's point, you know, it doesn't end well, even if right now, you know, there's, it seems great for Americans. Well, I, I want to actually talk about that for a second. So I, I really liked your talk about your analysis. You looked at America and said, wow, they, they've got these problems. The dollar's got these problems. Gold is, is clearly, you know, where we're at. But then you said, wait a minute, I actually have to broaden my scope here. America's not the only country. Um, there's other countries and they have other currencies that have even worse problems than America does, right? And what we're doing in October is zombie month. 
and Zombie Month is focused on zombie corporations. These are companies whose profits are less than their interest expenses. Now, as interest rate hikes continue, these zombie corporations are going to be going out of business. Now, these zombie companies, whether they're good or bad, they're employing people, right? They're producing goods. And as interest rate hikes continue, uh, they're going to get destroyed. Now, when we talked to some of the researchers into these zombie companies, the first thing that popped out to me, I said, oh my God, America's going to have hordes of zombies. Powell's going to be like, you know, there in a shotgun, you know, fending off the windows. And the guy said, oh no, Europe's much worse. And, and I said, oh my gosh, I'm, I just did the Brent Johnson. I have to look, not just in America, and say, oh, well, America's going to have zombies galore. you got to look around and say, yeah, we might have zombies, but comparatively, what about Europe? So this dollar milkshake theory, you can see it in, in other places, right? And zombie corporations are one of those, uh, one of those areas. And, and what, what could happen, and I don't know if it will, but what could happen is if capital flees to the United States as a safe haven, it could support our zombies and allow them to survive longer. And that's part of the way that the U.S. outlasts the rest of the world. Right. Again, it's not necessarily that things are good, and it's not necessarily a solution, but it's maybe a bridge to you know, outlast a competitor or, or, or however you want to define that. Um, I'm not really sure how that's going to play out. Um, but you know, also to that point, like Powell, to a certain extent, wants some of these zombie companies to fail. Right. right? He doesn't really care doesn't that care. a couple of companies might go out of business. and they will have to cut wages in order to you know, stay profitable or stay in business. Well, what's that saying? It's, it's a recession when I lose my job, it's yeah, a depression exactly. when my neighbor loses his. But what is it when you know, JP Morgan's calling Powell and saying, hey, listen, yeah. we, we got to stop the pain? Yeah, I'm going to make another observation here that's somewhat related to this. Um, and, and it goes back to you know, the analyzing, analyzing the United States in a vacuum or analyzing it with the rest of the world. You know, I come to these conferences, which I love coming to the kind. I love talking to people and I love giving presentations and hearing their questions. Their questions are always about how is the Fed going to get out of this? What is the Fed going to do? When is the U.S. going to pivot? Mm. Um, but it's always the Fed, the Fed, the Fed. Nobody has ever asked me how the Bank of Japan is going to get out of this. Right. Nobody's ever asked me how the ECB is going to get out of this. Nobody's ever asked me what the hell the Bank of England is going to do. Because all the problems that they are projecting on the U.S. Treasury, which will eventually happen, right. are already happening right now today mm -hmm. for these other competitors. Well, Brent, I'm going to ask every other person. I was just saying, there's <laughs> one thing that needs to be said, which is there's more scrutiny on America yeah. and more transparency. Mm. And people can mistake greater transparency for greater problems because you're sure. just not reading the headlines. And particularly, I refer right. to China when people say, oh, America's you know, terrible and China's the strong, wise, whatever. Just because you know, the news is being repressed doesn't mean there's, there's a news. bad shit that's happening. And right. in fact, the need to repress it is probably a sign. It's even worse. Mm. And so, yeah, everyone's, everyone's got their eyes on the US Treasury, $31 trillion in debt. Everyone's got their eyes on the Fed. Um, they, their eyes could be on a lot of other places, um, you know, as well. Brent, that's a good point. I, I even fell in the trap myself. But I'm going to ask everyone else, what, what is the Bank of England going to do? What is the Bank of Japan going to do? I mean, they're in worse, dire straits than we are, and it's a good question. Well, they've kind of already showed their hands. And, and the way they will play their hand is the way every central banker in history has always played their hand. They will deny it. Right. They will try to support both the currency and the bond market. And in the very short term, that can work. But eventually, because those are at cross purposes, they will have to choose one. Right. And history has shown that nine times out of 10, if not 10 times out of 10, they ultimately will choose to save the banks and the banking system and the bond market, because that's how that's the government's bread and butter than the currency. 
Um, they don't really want either one to fail, but if they, if you know, you have to pick. when you eventually have to pick, when there are no other options, they will choose to sacrifice the currency. And you're already seeing this, in the if you look at the chart of the yen and the euro and the pound, it, it's, you're seeing this already. That's why those countries' currencies are down double digits in the last 12 months. Well, I think you asked this. When has there ever been a time in history where someone's intervened into the market and said, oh my gosh, you know, we, we got to do this emergency measure, and they said, oh, that fixed it. You yeah. know, that, that Band-Aid, that's all we really needed. I mean, this is a bad sign, right? That is a well, bad, bad, bad sign. I've never been able to find it. If you ever come across this, or maybe you already know, if, if there's ever been a time where a central bank intervened one time, and that was it, I'd love to find it. But I don't think it exists. I, I, I cannot find a time where they didn't intervene, they solved it for a couple weeks, a couple months, and then they had to come back and do it even more. No, and, you know, you and I were, I know we were chatting on Twitter about this, that, um, you know, there are certain folks, who shall remain nameless, who think that the world is de-dollarizing when it's actually the central banks are desperately selling dollars to try to prop up their currencies. And it's like, they're not de-dollarizing, they're, de they're debasing. Literally, they're taking the base, again, their they're currencies are dollar calls. derivatives. They're getting margin calls, basically. But their currencies are dollar derivatives. As they sell the dollars on their balance sheet off, they're literally debasing their currencies. They're taking the base out of it. And the end of that isn't, oh, the world's rejected the dollar. The end of that is, this central bank is now completely out of good assets. And when you're out of completely out of good assets, then you're bankrupt. Mm. I mean, the, the other point I made in my presentation the other day, and I, I'm... I just say this to, to, to hopefully spur people to think a little bit. Um, whether I'm right or wrong, I, I don't know. But, but the, I think one of the things you've got to be careful about is when the exact same thing is happening in two different places, but you see them differently. Right. And what I mean by that is earlier this year, the U.S. kind of led the charge to confiscate assets from Russia, and they quote-unquote weaponize the dollar. And they force other countries to trade for energy in the U.S. dollar. And that's, that's kind of seen by many as a desperate move by a aging hegemon right. to you know, try and hold on to the power they have. When Putin forces the rest of the world to use his domestic currency to buy oil or energy, it's a 3D chess move that ensures that Russia is now the new leader and it's going to enrich the people and the economy. It's the exact same thing, but it's viewed as a positive by one and a negative for another. And so I, th I think you got to be very careful about moralizing. If we're talking about investing, we got to be careful about moralizing because a lot of times when I talk about what I think is going to happen, the, the thing I try to make crystal clear is I don't necessarily want these things to happen. This is not how I would personally do it. Right. But my clients didn't hire me to be like a financial justice warrior. I think we talked about that yeah, yeah, yeah. one time. They didn't hire me to, you know, step out and pound my fist in the air and say this isn't right. Right. They hired me to figure out what the hell's going to happen and hopefully navigate through it correctly. Um, if you're an entrepreneur and you have a project that you think is going to change the world and you go all in on that and you really try to solve things, I totally wait, wait, don't yeah. talk about that. Yeah. We're not. That's, that's too close to home. Yeah, no, come on. No, no, don't, don't hurt us, no, don't no, hurt us. No, no, my point is that, that's, a, that's, a worthy, that's a worthy cause, and you know, I, I more power to who the, the entrepreneurs who do that. Um, but if you are investing other people's money, right. if that is your job, or if your job is to allocate your assets for investment, not, not to change the world, but to grow your pile of money, right. then you kind of need to play the world as it is, not as the world as you would like it to be. Because the, the central bankers and the governments are not going to do 
the quote unquote right thing. Right. They're just not. So the idea that, that you should place your assets in a way that the, the Fed is eventually going to um, do what you want them to do or you think they should do, it's just that's not the way the world works. I was, I was going to make a comment about um, you know, what you want. There's an uh, epic fantasy series called The Sword of Truth by uh, Terry Goodkind. And um, he talks about there's, uh, there's wizards in the book. And wizards' first rule is that if people are stupid, they'll believe something either because they want it to be true or because they fear it to be true. So they want the dollar to go down because they think that's going to make gold go up. And they fear, they, they believe that um, Putin is powerful for the same move that they think is weakening the US. They think it's strengthening Russia because they fear it to be so. And there you got that duality of you know, substituting an emotion for um, cold hard you know, facts and reason. Yeah. And when you look at it objectively, it's like um, you know, they're the same move, right? Yeah. So how do you evaluate that move? Well, we've got one more question for you, okay. Brent, but before we go, where can people find your work if they want to connect with you, if they kind of sure. want to get dunked on? Where, where's the best place to go? <laughs> well, uh, I have a web page that's literally just a few like government regulatory documents that I have to post and my contact information. Okay. It's SantiagoCapital.com. I'm happy to talk to people. If they send me a message, give me a call. Um, I'm very active on Twitter. Um, it's either Santiago AU Fund is the handle. If you just type in Santiago Capital, you'll, you'll find a bunch of stuff. And just go to YouTube or Google and... If you type in Milkshake Theory or Santiago Capital, you'll get a number of links. It's been great, great talking with you. Uh, what is the best investing advice you've received, either at the conference or just in life? What, what can you tell uh, investors? Yeah, I, th I think it's kind of what I was just talking about a minute ago is, uh, you know, invest for the, the hand that you're dealt, not the hand that you want to have. Or, or play the world as it is, not how you would want it to be. If your goal is to make money, it depends on what your goal is. If your goal is to make money, Place money based on what's actually going to happen rather than what you think that you want to happen. Brent, I want to thank you so much for coming on the Gold Exchange podcast. We'll hopefully see you soon. And as the uh, dollar rips through, we're going to have to have you back on. All right. Thanks for Thanks coming you. on. Yeah. Thank you. All right. This episode was brought to you by Monetary Metals. Monetary Metals is a different kind of gold company. Others buy and sell gold. Monetary Metals operates the Gold Yield Marketplace, a platform of products that offer a yield on gold paid in gold to investors and institutions, and are gold financing simplified, reliable financing denominated in gold with a built-in hedge for gold-using and gold-producing businesses. To learn more, visit www.monetary-metals.com. See you next time.